The passage on which Bart based his sermon last Sunday came from the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John. It's the Gospel lesson that was for the second Sunday of Easter, which was last Sunday. And the concluding words of that 20th chapter are these. Now Jesus did many other things which are not, many other signs which are not written in this book. But these are written in this book in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may come to have new life in him. So these are the concluding words from chapter 20. And it seems that with these words, the curtain is coming down on the stage at the end of the final act of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. And it seems as if the gospel writer is putting down his quill and dusting off his hands and then rolling up the parchment scroll and tying it all up with a neat little bow. But then we have the 21st chapter given to us today by the lectionary for this third Sunday of Easter. It's a kind of an encore, it seems. And so this is our text today, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Let us listen for God's word to us. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, do you? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title of the sermon is Catching Fish, Eating Breakfast, and Feeding Sheep. Catching Fish, Eating Breakfast, and Feeding Sheep. Now, some scholars call chapter 21 of John's Gospel an epilogue. And they believe on good evidence that probably chapter 21 was a much later addition to the gospel. And indeed, they also think that probably um, the person who wrote chapter 21 was not the same person who wrote the rest of the gospel. And in fact, it wasn't a single someone who wrote this chapter, but probably several someones. And so these various stories were written and then they were stitched together by an editor and added on to the gospel that already existed and probably that took place not in a single moment in time, but over a span of many years. So that brings up the question then, why would the church, the early church, feel a need to add an extra chapter onto a gospel that was already finished. There are probably many reasons for that, and none of them we will ever know for sure, but scholars have some hunches. One of those had probably to do with Peter, because in the early church in the first century, Peter was a leader in the church, and um, so there was still some uneasiness probably about Peter's leadership because the uh, memory of what Peter had done in denying Jesus three times just before Jesus was arrested and then crucified had uh, left them feeling very uneasy. And so this story was told in order to bolster Peter's leadership in the early church. Another reason um, that might have left the church feeling that there was still some unfinished business and there needed to be a, another chapter added, had to do with the fact that there were probably still some rumors that were uh, rampant out there that there never had been a resurrection of Jesus' body. And so they set up a kind of a courtroom scene with exhibit A 
Here's Jesus. He actually fixes breakfast for the disciples. And then exhibit B, he sits down to breakfast. He's a human being. He needs to eat. And so he fills up on fish and bread. We'll never know for sure the precise reasons that chapter 21 was added. But one of the things I believe that we can take away from this is that those who made the decision to add this chapter were those who had breathed in the light and the air and the freedom that comes from following the risen Christ. And they wanted to do everything that they could to present that good news, not only to those who would be reading it in their own time, but perhaps for generations to come, and reinforcing what had been already stated in that, those earlier chapters of the gospel, reinforcing that so that people were strengthened in faithful living. Now, as you know from our children's sermon, today is Confirmation Sunday at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, and we've just had a fabulous big crowd at our early service as uh, more than 30 young people made their um, profession of faith, three, three of them being baptized um, as they made their profession of faith as well. And so it's fitting on this Confirmation Sunday, but not only for the confirmants, but for all of us who may have made our professions of faith long years ago, um, to be reminded of some of the themes that have appeared in the gospel according to John and reappear here as a kind of a reinforcement of those promises that we made as we ourselves were confirmed or joined the church or were a part of that communicants class, as we used to call it, um, and became a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. So today, um, I'd like to go a little deeper into three of those themes. The first of the themes is the theme of God's extravagant love for all of us. The theme of extravagant love being poured out is a theme that's already bubbled up many times in the earlier chapters of John's gospel. In the second chapter, we read about a wedding in Cana. And Jesus gives a sign because in John, the word is not miracle, the word is sign, that uh, when, when uh, these kinds of expressions um, or actions that show God's action in the world are done, so a sign is given. And what happens at that wedding at Cana in Galilee? Many of you remember that. That gallons and gallons of water are transformed into gallons and gallons of $100 a bottle Cabernet. <laughs> and then there is that extravagant feast that took place where 5,000 people were fed. And where did that five, enough food with 12 baskets of leftovers come from? two tiny fish and probably five pieces of pita bread that had been packed away in a little kid's lunchbox. And then there is the perfume, perfume that cost more than most people list on their W-2s. And it's poured out on the feet of Jesus by Mary. 
And now we have this expression of extravagance in the catching of fish. These nets are completely empty, the gospel writer goes to great lengths to make us know. And then Jesus says, cast that net on the other side. And what do we have? Dozens and dozens and dozens of fish. Oh my. We're given these signs, the stories of extravagance. And they are given to us not only for confirmands, but for all of us, for especially those times in our lives when we become discouraged, when maybe a dark curtain of grief or fear or loss seems to move us toward a sense of hopelessness and despair, when we're feeling empty. And it's a sign for us of God's extravagant love that is always there to embrace us. Now, I'm going to share um, just a little personal story um, in a way about a way that reading this story of the catching of fish has kind of connected with my own life this week. Um, as my family and I, um, make plans to gather next Saturday morning in Columbia for a memorial service, so a service of witness to the resurrection for my mother, who actually died back in August. Um, but this is the first time that we've been able to be together um, due to the pandemic. And as many of you know, because you've praying for him, one of my brothers being diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So he's able to come and be with us. And um, so um, we'll be gathering next Saturday morning. Um, as it happens, um, my father uh, died seven years ago, and he died on Father's Day weekend. He died on Saturday of Father's Day weekend, and his service was on Monday of Father, after Father's Day weekend. And now we are planning my mother's service for Mother's Day weekend. And um, because of the seven years that have elapsed since my father's death in 2015, I've discovered that every Father's Day weekend now is really a time of sadness and um, tenderness. And um, so I have every expectation that from here on out, every Mother's Day weekend will be ten tinged with sadness and tenderness for me. And I mention this because I have a hunch that many of you, perhaps even most of you who are here today, can relate to that experience. You have that experience in your own life. But here's how it connected to this story in John chapter 21 for me. Really, for the first time, it kind of just bubbled up for me. As I, speci I especially read about Peter uh, jumping into the sea fully clothed and heading toward the bank, uh, 
um, to be with the Lord who was there with his extended arms of extravagant love. And it took me back to one of my earliest childhood memories. I probably was about three or four years old. And uh, you know, uh, those of you who uh, go to Montreat, you know that right in the center of Montreat, there's Lake Susan. And today, nobody is allowed to swim in Lake Susan, but back in the day, back in my day, you could swim in Lake Susan. And that's what I was doing. And so what happened was uh, I was swimming away and I guess uh, my head bobbed down beneath the surface. And um, I'm sure I wasn't there more than a few seconds, but when my head bobbed up above the surface, what should I see but my mother running into Lake Susan fully clothed with her green skirt, her white blouse, and all of her jingly jewelry. And there she was coming at uh, full bore parental speed to rescue her firstborn from drowning. Well, it's mysterious, you know? But as I think about the story and Peter jumping into the sea and heading toward the bank, toward Jesus who is welcoming him with extravagant love, it somehow connects to my parents. And it raises up a sense of gratitude. Gratitude for their love, which communicated the extravagant love of God. I mention this because I hope that it's a little bit of a fish hook for you. A little fish hook that might snag for you on some memories. Memories of times when you have experienced human love that is extravagant. Perhaps from your parents, but maybe not from them but from other adults, other people, friends, times when that extravagant love made all the difference in your life. So that's the first theme, a theme that's appeared earlier in, chapter 20, in the first 20 chapters of John and then is re recapitulated um, in the 21st chapter. A second theme, in addition to this theme of extravagant love, is the theme of nourishment and how God provides nurture for us for faithful living. In this passage that we've read, we read of Jesus hosting breakfast on the beach. And that brings to mind other feeding stories in John, that, that story in John chapter 6 of the feeding of the multitudes. And then that story that comes, just a few day, comes from just a few days before this. And that is when Jesus gathered with his friends at a Passover meal. 
And the eve before um, his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and then ultimately his crucifixion. And there he was with these friends of his. And what we are given to know, as this story is told here, is that that supper, which is reenacted every time we come to this table and celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that supper that the friends celebrated with Jesus was by no means the last supper. By no means was it the last supper. We eat supper with Jesus every time we share the bread and the cup. And it is, in fact, a linchpin of our Reformed sacramental theology that when we come to the table, even when we're sitting in pews, we are lifted up by the grace of God's Holy Spirit to be at the table with Jesus in heaven. We even say in our liturgy that we lift our hearts to the Lord. And that is how we experience the real presence of Christ. The real presence that gives us what we need for faithful living. So in this passage, we have themes that have come before the theme of extravagant love from God and the theme of the nourishment of God that comes when we share the bread and the cup. And the third theme has to do with the promises that are made and the act and the truth that is acted out in this interchange between Jesus and Peter. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, I know that you love me, that you know that I love you. And the gospel writer tells us that the third time Peter was hurt. But what Peter has not grasped in that moment, but we as readers do understand as we read the full scope of John's gospel, is that here is the counterpoint to those three denials that Peter made of Jesus as he stood warming himself by that charcoal fire. And with each response that Jesus makes, there is increasing forgiveness for Peter's guilt and for Peter's shame. So that by the third time, Peter's record has been completely expunged. Moreover, Jesus does not only forgive Peter. He actually commissions him. He commissions him for the hard work of feeding and tending sheep. 
And you know, this work of feeding and tending sheep for all of us, it is not easy work. It's not easy to get up and to come to worship on Sunday when you've had a long, hard, exhausting week. And it's so tempting just to stay home and drink another cup of coffee and rest. It is not easy to give an afternoon or a day for rakes and wheels, rakes on wheels or a habitat build when your schedule is so full. It's not easy to shape your personal or your family budget to make a financial pledge to the church, to Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, so that the work of Jesus Christ can be done out in this community and in the world. It's not hard, it's not easy to step out into the public arena where that might be your school or your workplace or your friend group or any kind of arena and to work for justice especially for those whom society has placed and pushed to the margins. None of this is easy, the living of the faithful Christian life. It takes time, it takes energy, it can be very discouraging. There's always someone out there who is needy, and it seems that our small efforts make very little difference sometimes. But that is why John chapter 21 is God's good word to us. And what Jesus said to Peter as he responded to those questions. Because he's responding to the failures in our lives. You know, sometimes we feel like failures in what we do in the living of our faith. And heck, you know, sometimes we not only feel like failures, sometimes we fail. <laughs> we fall short of our best intentions. We fail to follow through on our commitments. We disappoint people. And we don't get to that place that we wish that we could find. And that is why John 21 is such good news for us. Jesus did not give up on Peter. Jesus didn't give up on Peter. 
and he does not give up on us. And so, we are emboldened with that knowledge. When we feel like the dark curtain is coming down, the dark curtain of grief or loss, or the world seems to be overcome with war and violence, let's remember Jesus with his arms outreaching in an extravagant love that knows no bounds. The ways that we are nourished through bread and through cup. And the ways that Jesus calls us to be a part of his good work of loving God and loving neighbor. Amen.